Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm your host, Ellen Parson, editor in chief of ECNM, and I'm here today with Rocky Roulette, vice president of safety for Faith Technologies Incorporated, to talk about all things electrical safety, specifically how FTI treats safety as a culture at their company. So I'm going to let our guest introduce himself. Rocky, could you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and your role at FTI, and then we'll get started into the discussion. Yeah, thank you. So I'm Rocky Roulette, like you said, the Vice President of Safety for FTI. I've been with the organization for a little over nine years. Um, started, you know, out of college with a large general contractor. Um, came over to Faith um, after knowing a you know a lot about them through different associations that we we're a part of, and you know had the honor to come you know win the job nine years ago and haven't looked back and um, love every minute of it. And we continue to find ways to would be innovative and, you know, just kind of change the way construction's built in general and try to, you know, do a lot more with less these days. So glad to be on today. Exactly. Thank you so much. I wanted to start with, um, I think, think the reason we initiated this conversation was um, I had seen that FTI re- recently had won the AGC Construction Safety Excellence Grand Award, which is a very, very big deal. So I kind of wanted to start with that, maybe so you could uh, kind of share your secrets to success and tell us how that award came about and maybe what was involved in order to qualify for that. Yeah, so we've been a part of the AGC for, um, you know, going on 15 or 20 years now. And and every year they have an award, which you know, we kind of call the Heisman Trophy or the Super Bowl of, um, you know, construction safety, um, called the Construction Safety Excellence Award. And you know, that award process, you know, you do an initial um, application. Um, it gets um, judged by a large panel of safety professionals, different insurance companies, lost control reps, as well as um, chapter members. And you know, if you can get out of the initial first round of the preliminary, preliminary judging, you get to move on to what they call the finals, where you you actually present in front of you know five you know, very um, distinguished judging from you know, anyone from the head of safety for the Navy, for the head of safety for the Air Force, um, the the head loss control rep for um, Willis Towers Watson, which is the um, sponsor for the award, as well as the head safety director for the Association of General Contractors. So, so some very uh, prestigious judges and, you know, you get five minutes to tell them why, you know, you're the best. They um, get 10 to 15 minutes to ask you some questions of, you know, trying to really get more information out of you, not really trying to stump you or anything like that. You know, they, they look at it as an opportunity to gain, you know, some valuable knowledge from some of the top contractors in the country that might help, you know, um, the industry as a whole, you know, they open it up to anybody that can come watch. Uh, There's an audience there. So, you know, you're getting to listen or present depending on what side of the table you're on, you know, to your peers from around the country, you know, wanting to know, what the best of the best does. So um, over the last few years, you know, we in 2000 or sorry, in 2020, we uh, won the grand and the last two years we've um, won our category, which is the large specialty contractors. So we've been um, in the running for those top positions, you know, year in and year out. And I think it helps make us better. We don't just win it and say, oh, we won. Let's, let's move on. You know, in our mind, we're not done until, you know, we have zero incidents every year and there's always you know, room for us to improve and learn. So we use that as kind of part of our program. 
Wonderful. Uh, could you give us, um, the listeners may not all be familiar with faith, so kind of give us a rundown of the size of, you know, very large. We have readers who range from the very, very small contractors up to the, you know, enormous uh, electrical contracting firms, electrical engineering firms, and then we also have plant facility personnel uh, listening as well. So could you give us a rundown of maybe the size and structure of FTA? And then, you know, that will help us relate to how you incorporate safety in that kind of a large organization. Yeah, so we um very large um you know nationwide electrical contractor we're you know kind of average right around the three thousand employees um you know I, and I would say we're you know kind of an all inclusive you know electrical provider you know from arc flash studies to you know critical building or cr sorry critical power you know design build some electrical engineering and install we do a lot of energy and energy efficiency studies as well as field solutions and some industrial automation and then some pre con as well so. I would say we do pretty much everything except for overhead power lines. You know, we let the people bring that particular power to us. You know, we're doing a lot on the um, the solar and different things like that too. But um, so pretty much anything electrical, we have our hands in one way or the other. And um, at any given time, we could be working in any of the lower 48 states with with our employees, um, anywhere from, you know, small one or two person jobs to five or 600 um, electricians on one project. So you know, very diverse in what we do. And it's really helped us over the last, definitely over the last few years. Well, that definitely makes, uh, is even more impressive when you hear about that, of how you can implement that kind of a safety plan over that kind of an organization, with all these different um, markets and applications that you're working in. So I think everyone will be interested in finding out how you do that. Um, so let's move on to, obviously a safety plan is, you know, it's intricate. It is specific for every company, every you know situation, that kind of thing. So with all of those moving parts, can you summarize how FDI, like what is your strategy to safety when you have that many different types of um, diverse environments that you're working in and crews and in all types of these applications? That sounds pretty overwhelming. I would say that without getting too far, you know, off in the weeds with it, I would just say it's, you know, um, create a plan and work a plan. So it don't matter if it's a $100,000 project that one or two people are doing it, or if it's a $100 million project that has, you know, two or 300 employees on it, you know, the risks are still there, you know, so planning for those, how are we going to control those? How are we going to, you know, it'd be great if we could eliminate them before we start, you know, that's number one, but, you know, being able to control those risks, no matter what size of the job, because, you know, the injury can happen on that small job, just like it could on that larger job if you don't take care of business up front. So I would say, you know, creating a just a upfront plan to be successful. And if that plan changes to stop, you know, we, you know, have everyone, we call it stop work, you know, responsibility, not just stop work authority, but stop, you know, what we're doing, you know, let's look at it again. Is there a better, safer way to do it? And let's go that route because, if you do it the safest way, you know, no matter how much it costs or how long it's going to take, you're going to be pretty successful. That's a good point. Um, and how do you implement that, I guess, across these different types of work that you're doing? Obviously, you know, if you're in working on solar or you're working in different environments, it's going to be a different, um, you know, safety protocol. So do, does everyone have different um, modules of training or how do you get that across all these different levels of the company? Well, I think it starts day one, you know, we bring everyone in, you know, like a lot of, a lot of companies do, they do their day one, you know, orientation, we call it onboarding. Um, it's about eight hours of safety training, you right off, right off the bat with one a member of our safety team in person. 
And, you know, we go over a lot of, you know, not as much just technical of, you know, OSHA says to do this, this says to do that. We, you know, we really explain the why. why. Why are we doing that? Why are we using this tool versus this tool? Why are we using a lift versus a ladder? All these different things that we explain, you know, starting day one. And all of our new employees also go through an extended um, three-week quick start is what we call it. And they learn how to use, you know, basic tools, basic, you know, pieces of equipment, maybe something, maybe they're coming fresh out of high school, or maybe they're coming from a completely different industry and they've never seen a drill before, you know, whatever it is, we have to teach them. We have the responsibility to make sure before they, you know, hit boots on the ground the first time that they at least know the basics of what they're going to be doing. Um, you know, our mentoring, so that's, that's kind of first stage. You know, then it goes into the next level when they get on the job site and goes a little bit more in depth. You know, they get assigned a mentor. Um, that mentor kind of guides them the rest of the way. And, you know, hopefully by that time, they at least understand or grasp the, the reason we do the things the way we do. And, you know, some of them graduate out of that program a little sooner. You know, some of them you have to keep in there a little longer. But, you know, that whole training, quick start, mentoring, SSE employee, standpoint it it really kind of gives them some direction versus hey here's a hard hat and safety glasses go to work you know we we spend a lot more time up, up front and hopefully ingrain you know you know not just the culture but the why we do the things the way we do and we are a little different you know on how we work that's awesome so do you have a safety department of people that does that initial training and then obviously it's probably up to you know the foreman or the superintendent or whoever is in charge of that crew yeah it's they're also reiterating those types of protocols. Yeah, we have a, a large safety pro, um, safety team, you know, anywhere between about 28 and 32 team members. We have a couple of them that, you know, come back over to the team. Sometimes they put their tools back on. So we have some cross training with a few of them, but a very diverse team. Um, some of them came from, you know, the education background, they went and got their degrees in safety, you know, onto their master's degrees and certifications. And then some of them came up from the field, kind of the, the reverse way. So they're kind of teaching this group, a lot of electrical stuff, we're teaching the safety, and then we kind of meet in the middle. So it's, um, you know, it works very well for us. Um, you know, half of them are strategically placed around the country in different regions, you know, based on where our work is. And the other half are um, full-time on projects based on specifications and requirements on that particular site. So, um, you know, good mix individuals. And, you know, I think they're one of the best teams out there and um, wouldn't trade them for anybody. It definitely sounds like it. So let's, let's move on to um, complacency. That's always something when it comes to electrical work, you know, the people who've been in it longer, the veterans, you know, they, probably all have stories of, you know, I did this, I did this, you know, and I'm fine. And they think, oh, it'll be fine um, this time. Um, and that's something we all want to get away from, obviously. So I wanted to see if you had any examples or what you've seen um, in the field, what types of tasks or protocols are the most difficult, let's say, to explain or maybe enforce um, um, as far as FTI goes. Yes, I think, I know, People use complacency as, you know, the, the easy excuse a lot, you know, versus, okay, let's drill down a little bit further. You know, why, why did they make that decision? Um, we see a lot of it on, you know, lockout tagout events that, you know, whether it's, you know, a customer that we're working for, you know, the general contractor, and even in some cases us, you know, we have very complex, you know, lotto programs in place and, you know, every step's there for a reason or it wouldn't be there. And, you know, whether it's pressure, you know, from a GC, pressure from, you know, customer, hey, we need to get this turned on, we need to hurry up and get through. 
and you know they don't follow you know from a to z and they skip something in there for for whatever reason and you know just getting them to understand that the time that they think they saved you know if something happened you know heaven forbid something happened to them you know and get actually injured and you know we 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 you've been doing safety podcasts long enough you know the the direct and indirect um issues that come with injuries but you know, if you don't do something right and, you know, you tear up a piece of equipment, especially, you know, in today's market and supply chain, and it might take a year to get that piece of equipment back, you know, you didn't really save a lot of time. So getting them to understand that, you know, we don't care how much time it takes. If it costs a little extra, take the time to do it the right way. I mentioned that earlier, but it's, it's, it's the pressure they get from outside, you know, um, individuals sometimes that we have to teach them to say, hey, have a little courage. It's okay to say no, mm-hmm. run it up, you know, run it up to your supervisor or whatever, if you need to. So at the end of it, we can explain to them why we're doing these things. But, and, you know, I think you can always put complacency as, you know, a, a cause of an incident, but, you know, I think that's taken an easy way out and you can really dig a lot further and figure out the why related to it. That is such a good point. Um, and, and you mentioned lockout tagout. That is always on the, t- the OSHA top violations. Right. We just ran that. Now, obviously, fall protection is always first. Uh, the lockout tagout, which specifically applies to electrical, it's always on there. You know, and like you said, if you follow these steps, you know, everything should be fine. But like you said, there are a lot of pressures from outside that are causing them maybe not to go through all of those steps. So that's why that continues to be on the list, even though right. it seems like a simple thing. So let's go to, I know uh, when I talked with you before, we talked about your, um, one of the things FTI does is you have operational risk management meetings or ORM meetings. Yeah. Um, and you said the, that kind of forces the team to look at things they're doing every day and keeping safety top of mind. So could you kind of uh, explain what that looks like for our listeners? So, you know, maybe that's something they could apply in their situations. What goes in these meetings, what's involved, kind of who runs them? How does that work? So it's it's something that we you know t- typical safety you know you find something that someone else is doing and oh that works that might work well for us so it was something that we um, we say we borrowed from one of our peers about well, it's probably been about ten years ago now and you know just we like the process of being able to okay let's identify the hazards or figure, let's back up a little bit what are our tasks we're doing today what hazards are associated with those tasks. What controls can we put into place to eliminate any potential potential issue there? And then kind of circle back, whether it's after break, after lunch, or at the end of the day, and what did we miss from what we discussed at the beginning of the day? Or did something else change, you know, throughout the day that we need to make sure that we catch the next day? And, you know, over the years, we've evolved that process. Um, you know, it's a, I call it a living, breathing whiteboard out in a work area. Um, it's not just some piece of paper that you check a bunch of boxes, sign, put in a folder, and you never see again. Okay. So this whiteboard, depending on what size of job, you might have one board, you might have 20. You know, we, we try to keep it somewhere around that 10 or 12 individuals. And so we can really, you know, kind of dive into what that task is and really get into the detail of, you know, what we're doing that day. Um, of the incidents that we have had over the last several years, I would say, you know, 95% or more of them. They missed that. They missed that task, or they went ahead. They they it did something outside of that normal scope, and you know it didn't necessarily cause an injury, but it definitely contributed to it. So, you know these whiteboards are out on the job. So if one of my safety team or myself go out there, we can look at it directly. We're not having to chase down a piece of paper. 
and we can see exactly what that particular group is doing, you know, and maybe since we're looking at it out of a you know, different lens, we can say, oh, hey, you missed some things. We can go in and add it in there, you know, circle back to the foreman or the superintendent and say, hey, you know, after lunch, go back to ORM board and, you know, hit on these few things that we think you missed. And, you know, it's, it's just there. And we've seen a lot, a lot of other versions of this, you know, with some of our, you know, GCs and other subs that we worked with over the years. And, you know, it's something that's helped. You know, I can go back, you know, and look at our, you know, our incidents and you know, our incident rates. And I can tell you the exact day or time frame when we started that process, because it started decline and it's been declining ever since the right direction. So um, it works. And it's very tough to pencil whip. Um, we make them, you know, reset it depending on what they're doing. Um, but it's it's okay, something that works. How often do you do that? It sounds like it every, every morning. Yeah, every morning they do it. Our delivery drivers do it. You know, on the smaller jobs where they might not have a space for a big whiteboard, we have electronic and you know paper versions, mm -hmm. so they can have booklets. And you know, we capture. It's a requirement to take a picture of that board as part of their audits that they do. So we're able to house them on the back end and stuff as well. So it it works. And that's and that's why we use it. Okay. So how that sounds like a lot. So how how did you uh, my next question is going to be, did you face any resistance when it oh, yeah. you know, starting that, enforcing it? I'm sure initially people were like, oh, you know, like anything, they don't like change. They right. like, is this really necessary? Um, so how did that go? And then how are things now as compared to when you started it? It was, it was just like anything else. It was tough. You know, you'd see three or four things written on a board and, you know, or slip trips and fall, you know, don't housekeeping your basic stuff. And, you know, it just really wasn't meeting the, the intent. And so we started out doing some ORM challenges, you know, whoever has the best ORM for the month, you know, different okay. things and kind of built off of it. But then over time, they realized just like anything else, it works. You know, they weren't having the injuries they were having before on the job, but their their efficiency was better. Their productivity was there. You know, the the work area that they worked around was just it. It was all just part of the process. It wasn't just that one thing. But you know, once they realized, oh, hey, this is this is better than what we used before. You know, I came over from a general contractor where we still use the paper version. When I saw this, I was like, no, oh, this is way better than what we used. I mean, okay. I'll admit when I was a, you know, a a safety director for a GC, you know, yeah, I might've glanced at a JHA or something that first day, but then you don't ever look at it again. You know, this board, you look at it every single time you walk by it. So it's something that, you know, it, it works. And, and now they're very detailed. They're clean. Um, they take a lot of pride in how they do it because, you know, again, they've seen, you know, how it has changed the way they do their jobs. That's wonderful. And so that it kind of indirectly, you got the buy-in through the performance of what was happening. So yep. that's even better. That's yeah. And on the buy-in piece, there was a couple that you know, were very, you know, resistant to it. So I do have the luxury of our CEO that has worked in the field and came up through the organization. He got to make some phone calls to those individuals that didn't quite want to get on board and they got on board pretty quick. So yeah, it's nice to have that there too. Well, that sounds like that's that's a, a great great program. So congratulations on on implementing that and keeping it going. We recently, you know, May was Construction Safety Month. We ran a lot of we always run a lot of safety content on our website and in the magazine. But uh, May we had a little extra safety content because it was May issue. 
Um, one of the articles we we ran was written by Randy Barnett. He's one of our longtime electrical safety experts. He works for a training safety training company, and he wrote an article that was really really well received on uh, because he talked about the human factor in electrical accidents. So it's like, why do these electrical accidents, the same ones, continue to happen that you see on the top ten OSHA violations? You know, um, why does that continue to happen? Um, and he is he was maintaining that one of the biggest factors is human behavior. So I wanted to see what you thought about that and how how do you maybe target you touched on this before, but target human behavior and then avoidable errors in your training. Um, I would agree with him to a point. Um, you know, I met with a um, you know, a NIOSH representative a few years back and they asked mm -hmm. us the same question. He pulled myself and one of the other you know, big electrical contractors and says, why do we still keep having these same issues? And you know, the way we looked at it was you're not having it from the top electrical contractors out there. You're having it from the ones that are still afraid to tell someone, no, I'm not going to do that energized mm -hmm. because they don't want to lose the job. Okay. You know, say, hey, you have to shut down this process. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I mean, we've turned down a lot of work right. over the last several years because people said, hey, we want you to do it this way. And it's not that we don't have the ability to do energized work. We just aren't going to do unjustified energized work. And, but there is still a lot of companies out there that will, and you know, that's scary. And, you know, that's the thing that we need to, to really work on from an industry standpoint and, and end users as well. Um, you know, schedule accordingly, you know, again, and you want to have to take the human behavior and the avoidable errors out of there is just eliminate the risk altogether. You know, the old hierarchy of control, just schedule it design around it where you don't even have to bring that decision making from that employee that's just hey I just want to keep my job I'm going to do what this guy says because I want my job but if you can again set that tone early up front plan accordingly I think you can eliminate all that but unfortunately a lot of those still happen they do so I, I agree with him there that is such a great point to make because like you don't know all the circumstances behind those violations it, like you, you just pointed out so that's really important to think about you don't know, you know, what happened with that employee. And they, like you said, they're afraid to say no or stand up to this company. They don't release the work. So that's, that's a really, really valid point. Um, so along those same lines, um, touched on this earlier as well, but how do you identify the potential hazards, um, like before you get on the job site possibly, or, you know, what is the process of evaluating hazards and preventing them before they happen? So the, the few things that we do, and again, we, we are a larger you know, organization, so we have a lot more resources. Um, you know, our pre-con and engineering teams, they work directly, you know, with us on the safety side of, you know, hey, you know, we are getting ready to build this job. This is what it looks like. And try to make a difference, again, before we even have boots on the ground. You know, if we can do that, then that's a big chunk of the risk that we've eliminated again before we even put trailers on the job site. And as we go through from like an initial you know, pre-construction, you know, or, or design phase kickoff meeting, you know, what are some things from a safety side we can do? You know, and then we get to that next stage. OK, now we have the job. We're getting ready to mobilize. OK, how are we going to schedule this so we can utilize lifts versus ladders? So I would say the. The design, the design for safety and the planning stages, that's been extremely valuable for us. So it's you know a lot more proactive than reactive because once you're out there in the middle of it and that task needs to be done, you know, you've lost all that ability to affect change on the front end. So 
I would say that's been extremely uh, valuable for us. Um, we do have a manufacturing arm of what we do. So, you know, manufacturing a lot of our components and assemblies, you know, prior to getting on the job site. So all of that, you know, has played into some of our success over the last several years. Okay, great. Um, we're, we're almost at time, but I wanted to make sure I asked you, um, what was the best piece of safety advice you ever received and maybe who that was from? Okay. I, I actually have two. Um, I don't exactly remember where they're from, but I'm sure it's from some class or training of something I've t- I took somewhere along the line and I use it all the time. Okay. Um, you know, one of them is, you know, what, what you allow are your standards. So, you know, you can have, you know, the biggest, thickest safety manual in the world and hire all these high-end safety professionals. But, you know, if they're allowing things to slip on a job site, you know, that's your standard. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a job site that's absolutely perfect and everybody's doing everything exactly the way they're supposed to in the job down the street, the guys are wearing, you know, tank top shorts and tennis shoes. That's your standard. Mm-hmm. You know, the other ones are exceptions. So being able to, you know, be consistent as a company is extremely important. So that's one and the other one, and I, I think this is what the guys in the field really love about us. And I just say, if it's not going to make us better, we're not going to do it. So I would tell them, I said, every form, everything that we fill out is there for a purpose. It's not just for a homework assignment. If it's not going to make us better, we're not going to do it. And, you know, that's something we evaluate every single year too. You know, did that make us better? If it did, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to try to, you know, use it or adjust it. Or if it didn't help at all, you know, we'll push that away and try something new. I wanted to make, I think that's just great that you, you know, you're willing to share all this information to the readers and listeners so that, you know, they could put some of these things in place or, you know, maybe they haven't heard of a lot of these things before and you all have had so much success in this area and obviously it's very impressive. So I really appreciate you talking with me about that. And I think yep. it's really going to, it's going to resonate with our listeners for sure. So yep. it looks like we're about out of time. So I wanted to thank Rocky so much for sharing his industry insight knowledge and experiences with us today on improving safety outcomes on electrical job sites. I'd also like to thank Senior Associate Editor Ellie Coggins and Associate Editor Michael Morris for editing and putting these podcasts together, making this valuable information available to all of our readers and listeners. For more information, visit our website, ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parson signing off of ECNM on air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. Thank you and have a great day.